Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined once again by Greg Wyatt. He is the Director of Business Intelligence at Philippine Strategic Associates, also known as PSA. So Greg is an absolute wealth of knowledge about all things Philippines, as you will see in this episode. If you haven't heard Greg before, he's been on the show a few times now, four, maybe five times, and it's always great to have Greg back. I usually get him back periodically for updates on the Philippines, on the economy, on the security and risk of the country uh, and the general setting of the country. Of course, recently we have had the elections uh, and a few other changes with the Philippine economy. And of course, we are emerging from COVID and the world is heading into recession, it seems. So we discuss all of this with Greg on the podcast. As always, it's a great, it's a great, great podcast. And I certainly learned a lot. So enjoy. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Greg Wyatt, welcome back to the show. You've been on so many times now, and it's, it's great to have you back, and you're always my oracle of knowledge about everything in the Philippines. So it's certainly great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. How have you been? You know, we've been busy uh, trying to make sense of things for our clients uh, after the election. That's, that's I think the thing that most people are interested in, the incoming administration. Uh, and, you know, sometimes in, in very vague ways, they just want a general policy. Other times they're really some concerned about something specific, uh, you know, a particular project, the future of a particular project or something like that. So. And you're with, uh, just to give people the background, you're with Philippine Strategic Associates. You're the director of business yes. intelligence there. Uh, what do you do and uh, what, what sort of, how do you know so much yeah. about so many things, Greg? 
So we're a risk consultancy uh, based here in, in Metro Manila. Uh, your typical risk consultancies are usually in the global financial centers. So in terms of how the industry is broken down or competitive advantages that we're here in the Philippines. Uh, and yeah, I'm the director of business intelligence. We have kind of two broad sets of service lines. We have consulting work, and then we have a, a reporting service, a subscription-based reporting service. And they kind of feed into each other, complement each other, I think is the best way to say. Uh, but yeah, so I'm looking at issues relevant to business uh, full-time. Fantastic. And the we've just had a new president elected in the Philippines, and that when any new president comes in, it creates a lot of uncertainty for the market. And so I suppose uh, that that's created a lot of work for you to to sort of analyze it and make a little bit of sense of it for, for your clients and companies. How do you see that whole thing playing out? I suppose, you know, up until today with the election and, and since then, and then going forward, what how do you see the new presidency? Yeah. So I think, you know, you're right. Philippine elections always create a lot of uncertainty. Uh, and particularly because it's a very strong presidential system. So every six years, uh, a lot of the policy questions kind of get thrown up in the air. Uh, and this this year was no different. Uh, the, the election, the campaign was not really policy heavy, right? So the, the campaign period did not answer a lot of the, the most important questions for the business community or for investors. Uh, so, you know, immediately after the election, there was a lot of uncertainty about how the economy would be managed, uh, things of that nature. And, uh, now I think there's less uncertainty. It's, it's moved in a positive direction. Prime, the main thing that's happened over the last month is the president has appointed his economic team, the incoming president, uh, president Marcos says incoming president Marcos has appointed his economic team and it's a very technocratic economic team. So over, over the last 30 years or so, the Philippines has had this uh, tradition of a, even if they have a, a very populist president like like, popul- like uh, President Duterte, for example, the, uh, the broad strokes of the economy are really managed by a, a team of technocrats at the uh, collectively they're called the economic managers, you know, Department of Finance, the National Economic Development Authority, et cetera. Uh, so I, I think in the business community and, and investors are in general are happy with with the broad strokes of who the president has, the incoming president has put in charge. Uh, you know, there's not everybody's going to be have, happy about every particular policy, and there's still certain things to be decided. But uh, overall, I think uh, particularly, you know, it's it's pretty clear that the economic situation is difficult around the world right now, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. and it, it may become more difficult. So I think overall, the business community is happy that there's this technocratic team of professionals that are going to be in charge of the economy. Right. And by technocratic, does that imply that they are sort of completely apolitical or completely politically agnostic? And, you know, even though there's sort of different perspectives on anything, but are they more sort of, you know, kind of uh, academic and economically driven as opposed to, or do they still have um, political alliances, would you say? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that they're, they're going to be loyal to the president generally, but they're not there in their positions because of their loyalty to the president. Right. Mm. So and I, generally, I think that though, would you have sort of a, 
would you have like a Republican or a Democratic or, you know, would you have sort of a, a capitalist versus socialist leaning generally or are they more neutral in those uh, yeah, no, I, I don't think so. They're not none. None of the people who are the economic managers are really known for like a ideological or or political loyalty. You know, in, in the United States, people kind of uh, to try to make may, maybe sense of this by comparison. People serve in a Democratic administration, and then a Republican administration comes in, and all those people go work at think tanks. Uh, and and it's not like that here in the Philippines, right? So uh, the the incoming uh, director of the National Economic Development Authority, for example, had previously served in the same role under the Aquino administration, right? And the Aquino administration is kind of, uh, you know, not on the viewed as not really being on the same page politically as the Duterte administration or the Marcos administration, right? Uh, the incoming uh, Department of Finance secretary served in this, the Estrada administration and the Duterte administration. So it's, it's, uh, Whereas it, if, if you go and step outside the economic managers, you will have some people who are really appointed for their political loyalty to the incoming president. Uh, but that's, that's not what has made uh, the economic managers get their position. Right. Got it. Got it. Good. And so with how have the markets, how have investors, how have uh, foreign direct investment, how has all of that responded to the initial uh, election results, and then also now as it comes closer to the to the new presidency and him electing the uh, uh, his cabinet. Right. So I, yeah, I think initially there was a lot of uncertainty. Uh, like like I said in the in the business community, no one really knew what the policies of the next president were going to be, and there were just a lot of question marks, and people were kind of filling in those question marks with their imaginations, both maybe positively and negatively. Uh, and, uh, but really it's, it's the cabinet that's going to decide most of the policies. Right. So, uh, I think it, in general investors and the business community are, are, are happy that there's this technocratic team. Uh, the, the bigger questions probably have to do with the, the global financial, the global economic situation, uh, how the Philippines is going to navigate, uh, the increase in the price of fuel and food, mm -hmm. uh, whether or not there's uh, other global economic problems on the horizon. Uh, I think that that's where the, the big uncertainties lie right now, uh, both the, the global economic situation and then particularly how the Philippines is, is going to navigate it. Uh, but what, I think... What is the Philippine situation in terms of food security and has it has it seen a lot of price inflation with the, you know, with the wheat supply and the fertilizer supply? Is the Philippines in the firing line of all that? Because it is a, um, you know, it is a, it is a sort of emerging economy, and and um, those things have really had a lot of price pressure. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those. It's one of the countries that comes up when when people are discussing this, but not as one of the most vulnerable, right? And it's not one of the most vulnerable for several reasons. Number one, people, Philippines does import a relatively large amount of wheat, but it's not the staple. The staple's rice, and and rice has experienced less inflationary pressure than wheat, right? Because Ukraine and Russia both export wheat, uh, but there's a lot of rapeseed oil, wheat things that that are imported from from Ukraine, for example, in particular, uh, to the Philippines. But 
uh, rice hasn't experienced the same inflationary pressures. Philippines, okay, I'm kind of doing this off the top of my head, but I think the Philippines imports about 13% of its food. So it's it's right. not a food-independent country. It imports a significant amount of calories. And I think also, even, even if there's not a shortage of food around the world, there's clearly a price increase. And mm. your average Filipino family spends a lot of their income on food, like about 50%, something like that, right? So there's not, people don't have a lot of disposable income to make up for that supply, you know, that make up for that increase in cost. And then, and then even, even when the economy is doing well, there's poverty and there's malnutrition and things like that. So really people, people suffer when the price of food goes up, uh, disproportionately in, in a country like the Philippines compared to a richer country. Uh, so, you know, I don't think the Philippines is as vulnerable as, say, countries in the Middle East or Africa. I think that that's really uh, the prime concern right now. Uh, and I think for political reasons, it's not as vulnerable as, say, Sri Lanka was or Pakistan was. Uh, you know, I was, I was writing this week that I think that the economy in the Philippines has been better managed than the economy in Sri Lanka was. Uh, so right. that made Sri Lanka more vulnerable, and that's why Sri Lanka is experiencing tremendous political instability right now. Mm. Uh, and it has been and for you, quite some time. And do you see the Philippines as? I mean, it's it's in these economic hard times, and if we enter recessions and there's high inflation, and you know, it, it's difficult that the new presidency is coming in and and adopting effectively that new environment. But do you, do you see that, you know, there's potential to thread the needle of avoiding this with the relatively strong economy of the Philippines, uh, low debt levels, uh, potentially thriving outsourcing industry, and as well, the outsourcing industry that is typically a counter-cyclical sector could do a little bit better as the world goes into a recession. Do you, do you see the prospects for the Philippines as relatively positive or do you think it's, you know, it, it really needs to hunker down? Uh, I'd say relatively positive, but it's challenging too, right? So, I mean, the other thing that I would add to that is remittances. Remittances always help to stabilize the economy in the Philippines. Um, yeah, the, I, you know, I think the, the BPO industry is going to grow. Generally, the economy in the Philippines is expected to grow over the next year. And it's, it's more of a question of can it grow at a rate that people's quality of life improves or uh, can it uh, or is it not going to grow fast enough uh, relative to inflation? Uh, mm. Debt is a concern, right? So the Philippines doesn't have that much debt compared to the biggest countries in the world, you know, but uh, it it does compare to its peers, right? Particularly its peers in Southeast Asia. It has more debt than Malaysia or Thailand, I think. Uh, so... Really, it, you know, you can't compare the Philippines to the United States or to Japan in terms of debt levels uh, because the economy just works differently, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you have, you know, China buys up loads of dollars. Uh, you know, investors all around the world are, are buying yen. Very few people go around buying pesos, Philippine pesos, right? And that's, that's one of the reasons why developing countries can't sustain the same debt levels that the richest countries in the world can. So debt is actually increasingly a concern. Uh, and the plan is to basically outgrow the current debt levels. Uh, but, you know, I think the uh, the era of, of 
cheap debt and, uh, you know, I think the infrastructure spending, it's going to be a challenge to keep that up over the next administration. Uh, but I, you know, I keep coming back to it. You look at countries like Sri Lanka, like there's some gross economic mismanagement ongoing, right? It wasn't just the global situation that has caused these problems. Uh, there was also, there were also local policies that were doing a lot of damage. And I think the, the Philippines is going to likely to avoid a lot of those uh, policies like currency manipulation and uh, things like that. It's, they're going to avoid those policies that the government can do that do damage in the long run. Uh, right. So I, th- I think the debt, that's, that is an issue. The, the, the economic managers really, you know, they really do have it on their mind that they have to decrease the government's level of debt. And a plan right now is to, is to outgrow it. Right. And I suppose aligned with that, at least we're coming out the other side of COVID. There has been quite an economic rebound as we come out of COVID. It seems that other economies really kind of uh, thrive during COVID when maybe they shouldn't. And, you know, and then now that as the world is coming out of COVID, the whole economy is you know absolutely blowing up. Maybe that's because of all of the quantitative easing and things like that. With the Philippines, I think you know just my sort of anecdotal interpretation, things really kind of went into hibernation over COVID um, because there wasn't a lot of economic stimulus. Uh, but now, as we emerge from COVID, things are really kind of picking up and getting back to normal, and that kind of economic activity is rebounding and compensating is is that your interpretation and do you see sort of a lot of continued uptick as a result of the sort of recuperation from the covid economy or do you think that that dash has now kind of finished and we're we're back to a sort of normalized state of being yeah no i mean in general in terms of the big picture view things i think one of the issues is it depends on who you compare the philippines to right so, so I, I think your narrative there makes a lot more sense if you're comparing the Philippines to the United States or something like that, right? Uh, but it, it, it's a question of whether it makes sense when you compare the Philippines to its competitors in the region, right? So there are there are competitors in the region, like Vietnam is is a major economic competitor right now. You know, investors are always talking about uh, investing in Vietnam, uh, and Vietnam grew over the course of the whole pandemic. Uh, in a way that the, the Philippines was really hurt hard with, with the way that the pandemic was managed here. Uh, right. But, you know, going over back back to my big picture long term, uh, you know, I do think the Philippine economy is probably going to grow about 6%, that kind of ballpark figure. Uh, and that sounds really good, but it kind of it needs to grow at about 6% in order to, to manage the country's debt levels. Uh, if it if it underperforms below that, then you start to ask questions about the credit rating, uh, things of that nature. So, uh, you know, I think there there is a lot of there's clearly a lot of consumption ongoing in the Philippines right now. You know, uh, you go to restaurants, you go to hotels, and things like and they're just packed. Uh, I think people are still uh, clearly spending a lot of money. That's great. Uh, I think there's several industries that you can be optimistic about. Going into the next administration, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of work done in the renewable energy sector. Uh, agriculture can continue to grow. Uh, uh, mining, I think, is going to be big. Uh, you know, there's politically loaded questions with with all of that. 
And I think the BPO sector will continue to do well. Um, yeah. So. And we spoke briefly before the Public Service Act came in relatively recently, which enabled more foreign investment and foreign ownership. How have you seen that play out? And you know, what do you think the, the impact is for that going forward? Yeah, so clearly the, the next administration is really the one that's going to benefit from the, the passage of the Public Service Act. And yeah, I, I think there's already been major interest in international investment in the Philippines because of the Public Service Act. So, um, yeah, I know it's, it's, it's good news from, from an investment perspective, I think from an economics perspective as well. I guess, you know, if you want to take a cynical angle, you have to say, well, are these Philippine conglomerates that traditionally run, own, own so much of the economy, are they just going to sell off their assets uh, or is it really going to generate new growth for the Philippines? Uh, and, you know, I'm much more inclined to think that it's going to generate new growth for the Philippines. You know, the top performing countries in the world, generally speaking, they're easy places to invest in, right? You know, the, the United States, Singapore, these, these are places where it's easy to go in and put your money and buy uh, a company or, or real estate or whatever. And that, that helps drive those really high performing economies. And the Philippines, until now, has had a very protectionist economy. And this, the change with the Public Service Act is, you know, could be the most significant change in 20 years, 30 years for investors, right? It's, it's a big deal. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty positive about the opportunities that's going to create. You'd, you'd have to assume these, these big conglomerates that hold all of the country's assets right now, they must be, you know, it's going to invite hopefully more competition, more international competition, but also... You know, the ones that are holding the assets now, they're in for a major windfall, aren't they? Because they've got everything yeah. that that can now be sold and there's now, you know, international money coming into the system that has a lot more spending um, potential right. and power than than just sort of the local market. So the ones holding the assets right now, there's potentially a huge windfall for them now. Yeah, and I, th- I think that that's why the, the act passed, right? That generally, I think you described exactly the way that the local conglomerates view this, is this raises the value of their assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the companies that are selling things, what, what they're kind of, they're looking at being more specialized, kind of in their areas of core competency, uh, and then capitalizing these huge assets that they already have so that they can reinvest it elsewhere. Uh, so yeah, I, th- I think it's all, it's all good news to be honest. Good. And, uh, back to office mandate that that's caused a little bit of a stir, certainly in the, uh, outsourcing industry where, you know, it's, it's still controversial. And, and so the Philippines is, is, you know, very heavily invested in the outsourcing industry, which is a people game. And prior to COVID, of course, it was pretty much unanimously office-based. And since COVID, uh, all of that has been really thrown into contention. And I think people have got used to an at-home lifestyle. And of course, some Manila traffic is bad, but this isn't a unique Philippines thing. Um, The whole world is grappling with this new conundrum of, you know, do we force everyone to come back or do we let them work from home? What is optimal for the individual? What is optimal for the company? And um, I suppose maybe if you want to introduce or the the back to office mandate and what the motivation there is, and I suppose what the response there is. 
Yeah. So uh, a lot of BPOs, they have tax incentives from operating what are in what are called PESA zones. So Philippine Economic Zone Authority uh, is what PESA stands for. And uh, that the way the law is written, or at least the major interpretation of the law, is, is that you have to work in, in these zones plus 90% in order to benefit from your, your tax incentives. Uh, and this is something uh, for, for a long time during the pandemic, uh, due to the state of national emergency, the basically the Department of Finance had decided that uh, companies can work from home and still get their tax benefits, uh, and, and that ended, right? And I think it it's kind of ended in a little bit of a messy way, right? The, so the, the PESA itself has lobbied really hard against it. They've advanced this legal interpretation that you should technically be allowed to have 30% of your staff working from the office. Uh, I haven't seen any signs that the tax people, the Bureau of Internal Revenue, agree with that interpretation. Uh, so I think uh, it's created uncertainty, right? People, uh, companies in PESA zones don't really know whether or not they're going to get their tax benefits or not unless they're all back in the office. Um, so... I think it's it's a little unfortunate, and it's probably the biggest issue in the uh, BPO industry right now, uh, for for a lot of reasons. Probably, I think the biggest reason is number one, it's it's cheaper for companies if people are working from home. The workers mm. really generally prefer at least some work from home, uh, and the the BPO industry is is uh, labor retention is is one of the big challenges, right? So there's a lot of mobility between companies and BPO companies are fighting really hard to get each other's staff. And, you know, that's, that's one of the main ways that people get a raise in the BPO industry is going to work at another company and getting that signing on bonus and things like that and, and recruiting their friends to come with them. Right. So companies want to be competitive. Uh, they want to have people work from home. Uh, it's kind of uh, trendy in terms of business models uh, you know, the worker's quality of life goes up. Uh, it can, it can fit into your business continuity plan and things like that. Uh, so I think it's a little unfortunate that the government hasn't been more on board, uh, with allowing work from home. And I think it's, it's because of the tax situation. I think that the department of finance looks at it as a, as a tax situation that if you let all these people work from home, I think they're, they're kind of against, uh, over the last six years in general, the tone of things has been, they want to tighten up the tax incentives. So, uh, you know, this is a reason why uh, if companies can't meet the requirements of being in the office, well, maybe they don't need the tax incentives. Uh, so I think that yeah. that's the way the yeah, finance good... looked at it, that, that if they don't, uh, if the, you know, maybe, maybe they don't need to be in a PESA zone if they want to work from home and they can have a different business model, but they pay full taxes, right? So, I think that the new administration, I haven't seen any change to that, that the, the people going in and being appointed to, you know, the uh, the new secretary of finance is really continuity. Uh, you know, he's, he's uh, from the central bank under the territory administration. Uh, I don't see anything in terms of who's been appointed that that's really going to be revised. So then you raise the question, what's next? And maybe there's a possibility of passing legislation. Right, to allow some kind of uh, work from home allowance for operators and PESA zones, 
but but that passing legislation could take a very long time. You know, it could take one year, it could take three years. Uh, but I think that that's kind of up next for the BPO industry. Uh, I think they're already lobbying very hard to to get some kind of legislation passed under the next administration, so these PESA operators can have some increased work from home uh, allowance. It's certainly something that needs to be worked through, isn't it? Because it's uh, times are changing, and I, you know, obviously all of these PESA and tax incentive laws. It was they're all created when it just was inconceivable that people could work from anywhere other than an office. So it wasn't necessarily consciously created with the office in mind. It's just that it it wasn't conceivable that you could necessarily work from anywhere else. So it, it's certainly something that's got to be revised, I suppose, but significantly as well i think the government's always been grappling with you know do you support with tax incentives a what is now a mature industry that is doing really well or should that money go to more uh deserving industries or younger or or um you know more dependent industries and maybe outsourcing now is mature and successful and it can stand on its own two feet However, I suppose when COVID comes along, maybe you want to um, support your golden gooses a little bit and, um, you know, kind of support the outsourcing industry because it needs to rebuild the economy for the Philippines. So it's a it's a difficult sort of decision really, isn't it now? Yeah, well, I think you, you articulated the, the position of the outgoing uh, Secretary of Finance pretty well, that it's a mature industry, that it's time to pay its full taxes doesn't need the tax incentives anymore. Uh, so, I, yeah, I think that that's definitely one of the things that's been going on. But I guess, you know, most of the regulatory issues involving the BPO industry right now are tied up with these PESA zones, right? Uh, you know, or before the pandemic, one, was the, one of the issues was that there was a freeze on new PESA zones in Metro Manila. Uh, and the issue there is that all the talent is in Metro Manila, right? That mm. the best BPO managers all work in Metro Manila. If you want to find the best agents, you want to be based in Metro Manila. If you want specialized service providers like yourself or like specialized real estate providers, IT people, you want to be in Metro Manila. Uh, you know, Metro Manila is a globally, it, it's one of the, uh, it's, it's globally competitive for BPO work. It's really at the top along with multiple cities in India. Um, and when, when people, when companies are outsourcing, right, you know, my sense is that they're looking at, do I invest in Metro Manila or do I invest in Kuala Lumpur or do Mm. I invest in India, right? They're not saying, okay, we want to go to the Philippines. Do we go to Metro Manila or do we go to the province, right? That's not even the part of the equation. Uh, so I, I would, because the Philippines is so competitive, for BPO work, I would like to see a government that got 100% behind the BPO industry. So clearly the BPO industry is very strategic for the government. You know, the BPO industry was afforded all kinds of exemptions and support during the COVID-19 pandemic, and it grew during the COVID-19 pandemic. But I feel like, I don't feel like the government is 100% behind. Some of the challenges for the BPO industry are really created by regulatory issues in the Philippines right now. Uh, and I, I see so much discussion about trying to bring in manufacturing to the Philippines, trying to make the Philippines more competitive for o- other industries. The Philippines is really hyper competitive for BPO work. They're really good at it. 
Uh, and so from that perspective, I would like to see the government make it even more competitive and back it even more. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's hyper competitive. I think I, and, you know, potentially even in spite of the Philippines and what the government has been doing, although it was very supportive, obviously with PESA and, and in establishing the support for the industry. Um, but certainly, right. you know, ease of doing business in the Philippines is not high, uh, foreign direct investment or foreign ownership is certainly not easy or not generally supported. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of, lot of hurdles for the outsourcing industry to really prosper. Um, but, but yeah. it has, so it's, uh, hopefully, hopefully the government will, will just let it be and uh you know can also follow up with the infrastructure requirements and education requirements and then i think it's on a good trajectory but it, it really needs to just let the industry be and uh it should should prosper hopefully how do you see right. the infrastructure any sort of changes on the horizon for that um the internet does seem to be improving doesn't it and do you, do you think with the introduction of the third player did that have any impact, do you think, on telecommunications in the Philippines? Uh, I, I struggle to see the impact on that. I don't know. I, I don't really know the answer to that. I'll, so I'll, I'll dodge the question. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of infrastructure in general, I think one of, the, one of the challenges is going to be where's the money going to come from for the government projects, right? Uh, so, you know, infrastructure in the Philippines is very popular politically because uh, pe people like to see the big projects, uh, and because there's so many infrastructure needs, right? Uh, but it's going to be different over the next, like, let's say, three years at least, because of the debt situation, uh, and and the, the fact that cheap debt is going to be less available as central mm -hmm. banks raise their rates. Uh, so I think that that's going to be one of the early challenges for the next administration is to figure out how they fund uh, their big ticket infrastructure programs. Uh, and I mean, you know, I, one of the things is over the last month, I've kind of, uh, a lot of my discussions with clients have been like, oh, we'll wait and see. What I'd really like to see is is X to happen. And then, uh, you know, like the appointment of a very technocratic economic team, for example. And then it happens. So I guess <laughs> I, I can add that to my wish list uh, that that the next administration looks at its funding options for infrastructure and really makes things uh, more competitive for things like uh, uh, public-private uh, <clears throat> partnerships and things like that. The, the past six years has not been a good time to do what are called public-private partnerships. Um, and so uh, I hope that the next administration proves the rules on that to, to make the Philippines more attractive place to do that kind of infrastructure work. Got it. Well, Greg, again, incredible insights. And Germany, would you say you're uh, you're confident for the future? You're you're optimistic, or would you have concerns over the next six to twelve months? Yeah, I definitely have concerns. Uh, I'm I'm both optimistic, but I have concerns. If that makes sense. So you know, the, the things that we'll be looking at and that we'll be potentially worried about are if there's some kind of disruption to the rice supply for the Philippines. Uh, you know, I, like I said, the rice situation in the world is a lot better than the wheat situation. Uh, but if uh, Vietnam was no longer able to export rice or Thailand was no longer able to export rice, uh, it, it could be a real problem for the Philippines. Absolutely. Um, but 
I think the Philippines is in a much better situation than your typical African country or your your poor Middle Eastern country. Got it. Good. Well, at least uh, this has a little bit of positivity, Greg. <laughs> Thank you anyway. Well, it's, uh, I mean, it's good. Yeah. Some of the things people are saying about the global economy right now are, are, are mm. pretty dire, right? And so, I mean, given that context, uh, I think it's, it's, it's pretty good. It's going to be good compared to the rest of the world. Yeah, and that is actually, I mean, we haven't spoken about the world economy, and but it, it's all going completely pear-shaped right now. And that is significant to emerging economies because, as they say, if like the U.S. catches a cold, then the Philippines catches pneumonia. You know, generally it impacts the emerging economies far worse than the actual leading economies. And so do you think, you know, I suppose it is very relevant to the Philippines, even though it, it's very distant to the Philippines, but... Uh, are you are you generally a little bit pessimistic towards the world economy? Do you think this will be a fairly significant recessionary environment for the next few periods? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's hard to uh, it's it's hard for me to have that context clearly figured out. Uh, but I guess a lot of you know, I'm only going to rely on the opinions of other people that I trust. On, on issues like that. It's hard for me to have my own very well-developed de opinion on the state of the global economy. Mm. Uh, but you do see a lot of very respected analysts uh, that, that think that some kind of recession's on the way globally. Yeah, it seems, you know, it seems the official, well, any official sources, they seem to be underplaying it. And, you know, with inflation, they were saying it was transitory and and, uh, you know, people aren't really calling a recession, but it seems that everything is in a recession now, yet it's not sort of being officially called. Uh, it, it does look a little bit dire, doesn't it? You know, and, and people are really tightening their belts and startups are failing and uh, crypto's collapsing. So it's uh, it's going to be an interesting well, but, environment. You know, as, as you were saying earlier, that can be good for the BPO industry, right? Because it tends to be countercyclical. So, uh, yeah, so yeah I mean, there is hope in that, in that, you know, when people need to cut costs, uh, then, you know, they will think of the outsourcing industry, whereas and in good times, a lot of people can dismiss offshoring outsourcing because it's, you know, it's an unnecessary resource to tap into. But when times are a little bit tougher, then, then it can become, uh, you know, certainly as people are laying off and like even Elon Musk now, he's started to lay off people at Tesla and things like that. So, you know, it is hitting the the, the luminaries of the industry, I suppose you can say. It's uh, certainly well, going to be yeah, interesting I mean, I, I to see think, it play out. I think that that's what we saw over the, the COVID-19 pandemic, right? That at the start of the pandemic, a lot of people were wondering how this would impact the BPO industry, uh, you know, whether or not it would shrink, and it grew, right? Uh, so, so there's opportunity there, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's it's just amazed me in COVID that there was no recession, you know, and that that seems like it, it's um it just is completely inconsistent with reality because everything was shut down for so long and there was basically no ill effects of that, and in fact everything kind of boomed, and so it's it's probably sensible to assume there's going to be some sort of hangover from that as a result. Now, well. Well, and, you know, for the BPO industry, most of that happened while people were working from home. 
And so mm. that's why I think so many people feel that's one of the reasons why so much, so many people in the industry feel that, uh, that they should be allowed to work from home because they did it successfully during the pandemic, the industry grew, uh, and now they're not allowed to. So there's still, I think different companies have, have, uh, ex- experienced it differently. Right. Uh, so there are clearly companies that went back to 100% work from home as soon as they were allowed. Uh, but those are the companies that you tend to, they're kind of, that's part of their business model, right? Mm-hmm. That they're located, the, the the owner of the BPO also owns the mall where they're operating. And part of the business model is to get those BPO workers into the mall before and after their hours. So that they hang out and spend money. Uh, I think that that's, that, the, general that's the double-edged sword to all of this, isn't it? You know, like people might be able to work more efficiently at home, you know, might, that's a, that's a strong might, but, It collapses the rest of the economy. Like DTI is trying to encourage everyone back because they they want to salvage all of the auxiliary businesses, all of the food businesses and service businesses that support people going into city centers and working from offices. And you know, there's there's not only the auxiliary industries, but then of course there's the property industry, and uh, that's you know that's the uh, occupancy rates are down about 30% estimates, you know, and that could take years or, or potentially decades to recover if, if people don't properly return back to the office in, in some form. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it was, it's pretty clear that the real estate industry was one of the groups that was pushing pretty hard for the BPO industry to return to the office. Uh, that's sort of an open question. I could be convinced either way, right? whether or not overall it's good for the economy or not. You know, part of me thinks people are going to spend their money. It's just they're going to spend it at home in their communities rather than spend it uh, in the central business district. Uh, But I, you know, I don't know. I'd be open to be convinced either way. Uh, No, that's a good point. I mean, it's probably just a big redistribution of wealth, isn't it? You know, and and sort of city prices collapse, but whatever, suburban prices jump. Uh, So it's a redistribution, isn't it? Yeah. Fascinating. Greg, amazing, amazing. So as always, I, I encourage everyone to to reach out to you and have a call. And uh, you also produce a fantastic newsletter. Uh, so do you want to tell us a little bit about the newsletter? Is it is it daily, Greg, or what's the, the oh, cadence of that? We do the newsletter weekly, right? And, and the newsletter is, is actually part of a, a whole service that's kind of designed for business continuity managers, executives, security managers. And we have a a series of reports that we release either kind of driven by events, like if there's a a natural disaster or something like that, or that come out on a uh, regular schedule as it relates to crime and terrorism, insurgency, regulatory issues, legislative issues, uh, things like that. So that's that's kind of the, the subscription service in a nutshell. Uh, and then we have consulting work, which is all bespoke, uh, that we help clients address a pretty wide range of issues, uh, whatever, whatever the risks and issues that they're facing, we help them solve their problems. So that's, that's the sort of the nature of what we do. Uh, if, uh, people want to reach out to me, just email me at greg at psaconsultancy.com. Uh, and we're happy to get in touch and, and discuss whatever it is that you're looking at. Yeah, thanks, Greg. And you, you're always such 
you know, an oracle of information. It's it's incredibly valuable. And your newsletter as well. Like how many do you know how many words is in your newsletter? It's it's one of the longest newsletters I've ever seen in my life. It's um packed full of <laughs> Well, I don't know. You know, we've been we've tried to make it shorter over the years, actually. Right. So, you know, it, it used to be a bunch of articles and and uh I think we we've redesigned it. So hopefully you don't have to read the whole thing. But you can And it's you it's, can it's not it. just rambling. It is deep, deep data and analysis and statistics and it's it's amazing amazing great well hopefully it's easier to navigate than it used to be you know i really want people to be able to scan the newsletter find the information that's most relevant to them uh and uh you know feel like that they've been well informed when they get to the bottom of it if that makes sense so greg thank you so much and of course we'll put your email and of course the website in the show notes thank you so much greg That was Greg Wyatt. He is the Director of Business Intelligence at Philippine Strategic Associates. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to send us a message, just email us at ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.